Um, let's continue our, our uh, effort at analyzing uh, that great robber of grace, um, legalism, the, the great opponent of grace is, um, is legalism. The, the more legalism reigns, the less uh, grace is enjoyed and, and vice versa. So um, what we've sought to do, or what I'm seeking to do, is give you some kind of analysis, some kind of, uh, I, I don't know, um, uh, what, what makes a legalist tick? What, what, uh, what is it that uh, they're really... What really motivates them? And, and last week I mentioned one thing, um, and it's a it's a biggie. Uh, the um, um, that 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 one of the motives is is self glory. Do you remember that we talked about that self glory? Um, we looked at that passage in uh, it's Matthew twenty three verse five, I think, where Jesus says they love to be seen of men. Um, I, I want you to notice me. I want you to notice how spiritual I am. And, and we talked about appearances being so important. And, and um, it's not a question of whether it's right. It's a question of whether it looks good or what does it look like. That's one of the fundamental um, pieces of psychology behind a legalist is self-glory. Um, I, um, I, I, by the way, I, I've, been, I've been feeling bad about this for a week. I told you a story last week about 1 Thessalonians 5, about the King James, you recall, maybe saying, uh, flee from every appearance of evil. And, and I told you that story about that, that pastor. I think I got some of those details. Not about the text, not about the point of the, but my wife rebuked me over, but it did happen 30 years ago, and I got the deed. Anyway, I, I just, now I've confessed. <laughs> yes, you did, Sue. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me look bad in front of this crowd. Would you? <laughs> okay, but, but the, the point is, um, <laughs> um, I was bemoaning this to her, and she said, well, Jimmy, it was 32 years ago when this happened. I said, well, okay, yeah, that's that. But anyway, I'm just going to. But the point is, guys, that the thing behind or underneath or that motivates the, the, the legalist is self-glory. And I want you to see a, a, a few verses with me uh, talking about this thing of appearances. Would you turn to Colossians 2? And let's take a minute and just pour over these verses for a minute together because I think they'll become very understandable to you if you, in this context. I'm saying that the thing that drives a legalist, or at least one of the things, or one of the the motives, is the motive of self-glory. Now now look at, uh, this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, and and I want to just move rather slowly. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? One of the things that surprises me, ladies and gentlemen, it surprises me, is that thinking adult, college-educated people would indeed submit to these kind of ridiculous, Ridiculous regulations that you find in legalistic circles. Um, why do you submit to regulation? Paul is just as shocked, more shocked than I. Keep reading verse 21. Uh, he, submit to these regulations, and then he gives you some examples. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I'm referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. 
That's what legalism is, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a collection of precepts and teachings that men cooked up, and they've told you not to touch this, not to taste that, not to go there, not to do this, not to enjoy that. Stop it. And Paul wonders, why do you submit to that? And I want to ask you the same thing. Why, 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 how could anyone who wakes up and says, hmm, I need to think this through, how could you submit to that? And it still stuns me why people will sit under that for year after year after year. Keep reading. These things indeed, or these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Yeah, boy, I mean, that's, that's what all Christians do. They don't do that, and they do do this, and that's, what they, that's where they are, and you know. And they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Don't you wear any makeup. Don't you do your hair. Don't you put on any jeans. Don't you wear pants. (coughs) Don't you do this. Don't you do that. (coughs) And they have an appearance of wisdom. Um, Promoting this self-made stuff of asceticism and severity of the body. And then here's the clincher. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why do you submit to it? All these silly regulations that have been self-made, come from self-made religion that is nothing but um, human precepts. Why do you submit to that? Because they might look good. They have an appearance of, mm, okay, you know. But in fact, they're of no value. Because the real issue, ladies and gentlemen, is not some kind of outward conformity. It's not enough to, to conform and punish the outsides, you know. Because that's not going to be of any value in stopping the indulgence of your flesh. There, I think, guys, you get a somewhat of a decent summary of what I've sought to say in terms of a motivation behind legalism. It's self-glory. It appears to be wisdom when, in fact, it is not, and it's, it's utterly useless in the, in the real battle that we're in. And the real battle is trying to, to, to tame the flesh. All that legal stuff won't help you at all. It might look good. It might give you an appearance of spirituality, and it's useless. Useless. Actually, it's worse than useless, because it creates a spiritual pride that is just, uh, it's just ugly. Now, that's what we talked about last week. The whole idea of, of a motive behind it is self-glory. But I want to talk to you about something else tonight, which is really... It's, it's almost more important than that. And it's not so much a motive as it is the result of legalism. Because what legalism ends up doing is that it misdefines holiness. It, it misdefines spiritual maturity. It misdefines godliness. And if back in the Mark 7 passage, which is what we're using as a jumping off point in this our discussion over legalism. There's, there's a couple of statements that Jesus makes. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 7, verse 8, he says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men, 
And then in verse 13, making void the word of God by your tradition. That is, what legalism does, folks, it, is, it allows folks to use a substitute. To, to, to substitute a lower standard for the real thing and then evaluate yourself and others based on that false standard. The the example that's given in the text is this issue of Corban. You remember what Corban was? He he defines it in the text. It's saying that all all of my, well, everything that I've got is devoted to God, thus I can't help my mother and my daddy because um, uh, it's devoted, it's Corban. So if you lived like that, here's what would happen. You, you, you could obey the rules and the dictates of Corban and ignore the law that God gave, that is, honor your father and your mother. You can create a system which will allow you to misdefine holiness lower the standards, obey the lower standards, then conclude that you are fine spiritually when in fact you are not. Well, I obey Corban and therefore I'm holy. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a charade. It allows me to dispense with the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and put something in its place which is doable by me and is a lower standard. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what's easier? Honoring your father and mother or living by Corban? So legalism takes the real standards of the New Testament and old, removes them and substitutes ones that are lower that I can't accomplish, which allows me to think that I'm perfectly healthy spiritually and when in fact I'm in rebellion at the, at the law of God. And once I do that, guys, what then just inevitably happens is that I begin to compare myself with other people in my crowd. Well, you know, um, if that's the standard and, and I'm doing that standard and they're not, then I'm healthy spiritually and they're not. Guys, I, I want you to see that text too. I, I just want you to maybe, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians. If you'll go there real quick. I've, I've, I've used this text before, but years ago, years ago, 25 years ago, John Guest preached on, on this text from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and um, it's verse 12, and it, he, the way he preached it was just genius. He almost sang it. It's verse 12 where he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another, 
and compare themselves with one another. And the King James says, they are not wise. This translation says they are without understanding. But what John guessed, he took that last, they are not wise, and he almost, he repeated it so much that it it, it became almost rhythmic. If you compare yourself with somebody else, well, uh, you know, I go to church on Sunday night and they don't, therefore I am. (laughs) And he would say, you are not wise. Well, I've never in my life gone to an R-rated movie and they go to an R-rated movie and therefore I am. (laughs) You are not wise. And over and over, he gave example after example, and he kept singing this thing about, you are not wise. Because, ladies and gentlemen, once you substitute Corban for the fifth commandment, and there's several other things, but once you substitute Corban for the fifth commandment, then what immediately happens is we begin to compare ourselves based on the standards of Corban. And we conclude that we're okay and they're not because they don't observe Corban or whatever it is like I do. You know, I, I think I've told most of this story before, but I, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm, still, I'm still moved by the story. But it, was, it happened years ago when Gracie, who is our oldest, she's 37 now, I guess. Um, but she was in the fourth grade, so that, that tells you how long ago it was. But uh, around our house, mealtimes were the most enjoyable thing. Um, really, when my girls all got married and, and left, the thing that I missed the most was the mealtimes. Because, I mean, we, we, people had to raise your hand to get speaking time. Uh, because, I mean, it was just, everybody was just, you know, and it was just fun to listen to them. And, and, well, anyway, one day, Gracie comes home from school, and she's going to this little Christian school. And... Um, um, I guess in the fourth grade, we were still in Ocala. Is, it wasn't the fifth grade the first year she was here? I, I don't know, but she was in the fourth grade. And she came home, and at supper time, and she is telling us about the most Christian girl in the school. The best Christian in the school. <laughs> and so I naturally asked, well, darling, what makes her the most Christian girl in the school. And she was immediate with her replies. I mean, there was two reasons why she was the best Christian in the school. Number one, (laughs) she didn't read Hardy Boy books. And if that weren't impressive enough, then take this. When she brought her Sony Walkman to school, like everybody else did, she only listened to Christian tapes. The standard's way down here, and so this girl really measured up real good. And ladies and gentlemen, I I promise you I am not lying. I did not evoke this from her. I did not try to pull it out of her. She just, in about 15 seconds, she added this. Do you know what, Daddy? Every time she doesn't get her way, she pouts and throws a temper tantrum. 
Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, tell me this. What's harder? To avoid a temper tantrum or to avoid Hardy Boy books? You see, do you get my point? Once you've misdefined godliness and you have substituted this lower standard, then this little girl can have the reputation of being the finest woman in the and when in fact, her little heart is black. I don't know that. But I can tell you this. It's a whole lot easier to stay away from Hardy Boy books than it is to respond rightly when I don't get my way. You see, that's what happens in, in legalism, ladies and gentlemen. What, what is substituted for the right definitions of holiness is a standard far lower, far lower. Tell me, what's easier? Is it easier to stay out of R-rated movies or to love your neighbor? I mean, I, I'm, is it easier to, um, to, to not murder somebody or, um, or is, it, is it easier to love my wife? I mean, I can, I can kind of... Um, I can kind of avoid certain behaviors or produce certain behaviors and um, all with the lowering of the, of, the, of, the, of the playing field. And I can accomplish them um, pretty successfully, which allows me to think that I'm really doing pretty well when, in fact, I'm, I'm not doing well at all. And then everybody in the Christian church adopts this standard down here. And then we begin to evaluate each other based on this standard. And the standard is wrong. And so we start saying, well, they're, they're really holy people. And they're not. You know, um, when, when we were in Ocala, there was, um, there was a little old lady. And um, she didn't like me much at all. Actually, she didn't like me any at all. Um, and, um, <laughs> but there were two other little old ladies that adored me. Uh, actually, they had adored Susie, and, um, and I just got credit. Um, but we had this, you know, these three little girls, and, and um, uh, you know, just this young preacher family, and, you know, just working for Jesus. And, and this one lady just despised me, and... The other two ladies, Lois Charles and Barnett Farthing, they just thought I was the greatest. Well, this other lady that didn't like me, she decided, for, and I don't know why, I don't know what prompted her, but she decided she was going to take it upon herself to, I, I don't know, run me out of town or whatever. And so she started this phone campaign calling people in the church to, to tell them what a wicked person that I was. Now, now, this is the lady who had her theological system down to it. In fact, she taught some of the women's Bible studies. And, and the reason I know about these phone conversations is because Lois Charles and Barnett Farthing told me about them. Because they got phone calls from Dot. That was her name. <laughs> Dot didn't like me, bless her soul. Uh, but, but anyway, um, Dot called everybody she could and she said, Have you noticed the number of times he uses the word pregnant? 
like I would say, this word is pregnant with meaning and yada, yada, yada. Now, guys, I don't know what she was suggesting, uh, but it was surely some sinister sexual something or other that I was. Have you noticed how often he uses the word pregnant? Well, anyway, Barnett and Lois Charles just took her head off and it it finally stopped her. But here's the point. She taught the Bible studies. She had her theological system down to a T. She was considered spiritually mature and didn't hesitate to chew up and spit out anybody she didn't like. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, where do you think holiness lives in that? By the way, I want you to see this text too. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 11. Um, This is the text that I was going to write a book about one of these days, but I'm not good at it. Where Jesus in, in Luke chapter 11 verse 42 says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue, that's a, that's a spice, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, is it easier to tithe your spices or to promote justice and the love of God? Which is easier? But the Pharisees would say, well, I do this. Therefore, I'm spiritually healthy, when in fact, they weren't. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you misdefine holiness. You substitute standards, none of which will help you in the real battles, concluding because you're meeting those substitute standards that all is healthy with your little old soul, And it's not. You're not healthy at all. That's what um, that's what legalism does, ladies and gentlemen. It 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 seems hard when, in actuality, freedom in Christ is um, is is much harder. Um, Guys. When you're, when you're living in grace, what you have to do is you have to, you have to remain open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the decisions that you're making. And so um, I become more aware of, of the things, of my shortcomings, of the things that I've neglected, certainly not the things that I've achieved. And I, and I can't hide behind this, this mask uh, of, of my good behavior when, in fact, my behavior is not good. Um, and, and, and then, ultimately, I begin to judge you or evaluate you based on the standards that I have adopted when those standards are all wrong. And it's a mess. You know, guys, um, this is just an opinion. This is just an opinion of mine, but take it or leave it. Um, this is how I think churches get themselves in trouble is that when it comes time to pick their leadership, like the elders or the deacons or whatever they've got, um, what we start doing is looking for people who've got the characteristics of this lowered standard. 
Do they attend church a lot? Do they tote a Bible? Do they come on Sunday night, on Wednesday nights? Do they, um, uh, do they teach a class? Have they ever worked in the, the nursery? You know, all those things. And so we elect our, our, our leaders based on this substitute standard. And then when it gets down to the nitty-gritty in the, in the uh, leadership meetings, what you find dumped all over the table is a bunch of godlessness. Because they're not God. I mean, they're conforming to the lower standards. It, they're tithing the mint and the coming, but ignoring the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and the love of God. Where do those things exist? Well, they might not exist in the, in the people that you put in the position of leadership, which is a, is a terrible thing. Now, guys, this is serious because there's a lot of people who, who will evaluate themselves on a, on a, on a misdefinition thinking that all is well with their souls, and it's not. So they come to conclusions about, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm, I'm pretty healthy, and, and they're not. That's how legalism can be so destructive. It, it, it's, it's spawned from self-glory, and it misdefines godliness. And the standards that are substituted are pure flesh. And that becomes the standards by which we evaluate myself and other people. Do you see how rotten that is? Rotten through and through. Now, let me give you two other quick things, and then I'll quit on this analysis of, of, um, of legalism. Um, I think this is rather obvious, but I do want to I, I, I put it up here at least, um, that legalism is the, is the essence of hypocrisy. Um, Jesus said that, he says that in Mark chapter 7, uh, all through the New Testament when he's dealing with the legalists, he's calling them hypocrites. You know, you know guys, it is not wrong to be against something that you are doing. For instance, overeating. (laughs) I'm against that. But you know what? I'm as guilty as anybody. It's not wrong to be against something that you... What is wrong is to condemn a brother for doing the thing that I also am doing. That is sheer hypocrisy. Now, guys, that's, um, that's one of the, the, the earmarks of legalism is the, is the quick to judge other people for when in fact um, I'm doing those same things. You know, if you're going to denounce something, also denounce, include yourself in the denouncement. I'm again um, overeating, and I overeat. God forbid that I should condemn you for your overeating while I'm overeating. L- let me show you that real quick. Um, Paul really 
in Romans chapter 2. He says some bad things about that. Uh, Just two quick verses. Romans 2, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Yes, sir, it does. Uh, judging others for doing the things that you yourself are doing. You know, what is, a, what, what is far healthier is for everybody just to admit we're all broken, we're all inconsistent, we're all needy, we're all ill. That, that's a whole lot healthier. And it's a whole lot truer. And then the final thing that I would say um, about (laughs) my legalist friends is that they're unteachable. Um, The only thing that a legalist really knows is that he's right. And uh, everybody else that disagrees is, is wrong. Uh, gang, um, legalism is, a, is an ugly thing for, 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 for several serious matters, particularly one and two. The other two are not as serious, but uh, y- you get the picture. Guys, legalism will always fail, not because it's too strict, but because it's not strict enough. The New Testament always exceeds the legalist and the antinomian. Um, you know, the, the, there was a guy, his name was Jay Kessler. I think he's probably dead now, but he used to be president of, the, of Youth for Christ for years. And then he, then he left there and he was the president of Taylor University, I think. But he used to say this. He used to say, um, if, if, if you're going to um, determine who is the best Christian by the one who doesn't do anything wrong, then the best Christian in our home is our dog. (laughs) Because they don't do anything wrong. It's just us, folks, uh, that do, um, do the wrong stuff. Gang, grace is supposed to set you free from all of that. Grace is supposed to drive you to the real standards. The standard is not each other. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're just showing how stupid we are. The real standard is Christ Jesus. And that's it. That's all. Um, Grace allows you to live really, honestly, without being phony and a fake. And... um, Grace is quick to admit that there's so much need that I have. Grace is beautiful. Legalism is horrid. Our Father, I do pray that you'll convince your people of of the beauties of grace and that you will help us steer this course between, between the errors of legalism and the errors of antinomianism that we as a church could find a balance of honesty before Jesus, honesty that uh, owns our sin, that owns our brokenness, and knowing 
that there's not a there's not a there's not a meritorious part of us and that's why we need not just a savior we need your savior O oh god the one who is altogether lovely the one in whom is found righteousness and the only one in whom is found righteousness. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.